0: Today's episode of the Ryan Russolo podcast on the ringer podcast network is brought to you by state farm, getting great car and home insurance from state farm at a surprisingly great rate. That's like drafting a player that becomes an all pro the real deal. State farm agents provide personalized service so you can customize your insurance to fit your needs. Like a GM putting together their very own roster. You need a team that supports you and state farm. has got a great one. In addition to agents, the award-winning mobile app, helps you manage coverage, pay bills, file claims, and more with a great price and even greater service. State Farm goes from strength to strength. Choose insurance that always brings its A-game. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon, the perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. Today's plan, uh, as always, we'll finish with some life advice. And by the way, I really, really can't tell you how much I appreciate the response to Wednesday's podcast where uh, we had both Ben Fritz on to talk about movies in his book, um, which actually has been out for like over a year. And I'm going to give uh, you the love and also uh, the podcast a little love. But it's, I think it's the fourth author that we've had on. That's book went to number one um, on Amazon and it went to number one, not just like it went number one in his category for like all four so that's really I mean that's you guys uh liking the interviews and uh wanting to read those books and trust me like of the authors that we've had on I'll I've I've never done I've had to do it with radio because you'll get like a book sent to you and then you're like hey you got to do seven minutes with this guy uh but normally the ones we're doing are just books that I've read on my own uh and then deciding to do it so it's worked out and that's been great and then obviously Trevor Moet who's just a different cat and I'll admit when I first started reading about him and this stuff I was like uh You know, one of these guys, and then I've hung out with him. And if he's good enough for Nick Saban that he's good enough for us, I think is the way we should do it. But we'll get back to kind of just me, um, you know, some of you guys again are sending really serious stuff to me. And I don't know how I feel about that. And I've had a few married friends say, Why are you giving any advice whatsoever on marriages? I'm like, Well, you know, I'm not, it's not trying to do math in China, okay? Like I am aware of people that are married and struggling. I do not uh Pretend to know what it's like every single day, but I, I know uh, that I had parents and they were married technically. So there you go. I mean, I'm not. It's not a completely foreign concept. So hopefully, you're good with that. Okay, this week's open though is about Mark Jackson, because we are now to the point where the head coaching gigs are almost gone, and Stan Van Gundy gets the gig in New Orleans, and I don't think the Detroit run is a positive for Stan whatsoever. I don't know how you frame the Miami run, considering he's basically replaced because Shaq was like, enough of this guy. And then they went on, win a title. So maybe that happens with Stan. Maybe it's unfair. But I was, I'll admit, surprised about the Pelicans thing. I would, at this point, I don't know what the price is for Jeff. Um, I don't know if it's cheaper for Stan. (laughs) Um, Because I think there was some interest in Stan, or excuse me, in Jeff Van Gundy. Back before, but I don't know if Dell Dempster is eventually going to go ahead and hire him and Dell is no longer running the Pelicans. We know it's David Griffin, and maybe the stand thing completely works out, or maybe it turns into something where I don't know. It feels like wherever he goes, there, there turns into like a bit of a tune out phase with him. And I'm just, I'm worried about Zion, Brandon Ingram. You know, I don't know if Lonzo's really a core guy at this point. Uh, you know, Jackson Hayes, whatever. I mean, JJ's there. Is that enough of a veteran? presence with drew holiday if drew's even on the roster so the stan hiring did surprise me a bit uh i guess i'm probably a little more biased towards jeff but you know the anti-jeff argument is like hey how long can this guy go without coaching but my argument would be had you ever heard like do you listen to him on the broadcast do you realize how in tune to every little thing is that's going on here and so mark jackson doesn't have a job again and remember he was fired down six years ago by the golden state warriors but when it comes down to mark jackson there are a lot of things that are brought up. Um, and really, I think it comes down to this. You are either informed or uninformed. If you are informed, you understand why Mark Jackson doesn't have a job. If you are uninformed, you were screaming all sorts of accusations for why Mark doesn't have a job. So let's review. Mark Jackson, three years, with Golden State Warriors, and he went um, just over 500. You know, that first year was pretty rough record wise. But if you look at what he did on the whole, going from 23 wins to 51 wins, that's basically the hardest leap to make, that 20- and 30-win team. They improved by 24 wins from his first year to his second year. So he was there for three years. The last year was 51-31. and He went 121-109. and Uh, They beat the Nuggets, which was the analytic darling of the 2012-13 season. And then they lost in the first round to the Clippers in that Game 7 series. Remember, Bogut was hurt. I didn't have him. Um, that series was obviously very close. It went to seven games. They could have maybe gotten him in a second round. But he gets fired. I had known the Golden State Warriors definitely want to go to another direction basically that, that entire season. And there are organizations that will not want to fire coaches even though they want to fire them. Or they're like, can we really fire a guy after he just won 51 games and has led us to this improvement? Because Mark did a couple really positive things. That team played very tough defense. And you know, coaches probably get too much blame or too much credit on the development of the players. Like, I I just think there's certain players that are stars that are just going to be stars. I could be coaching them and they'd be stars. So that sounds like an anti-Mark thing. If you're very pro-Mark, you would say, hey, what would these guys be without Mark? Well, they'd probably still be six shooters, you know? Clay learned how to dribble more. Um, Steph saw the court a little bit better. I mean, there's a player argument there where Draymond Green had told me, and he's made this public. He's like, dude, he's like, Mark had me playing small forward. I would have been out of the league and not gotten like rookie extensions. Um, Curry was off the ball and Jarrett Jack was running the offense. Was that the best thing to do? Well, at the time, a lot of teams were kind of doing that kind of stuff and step numbers were insane. Um, Harrison Barnes, they would run him sometimes in these lineups where you're like, are you asking Harrison Barnes to carry this team offensively? So there were a lot of issues the front office had with Mark's uh, approach to this, even though record-wise you're like 51 and 31, are they really going to fire him? Because I think there were some concerns, can we really go ahead and do this? And they do, and then they win an NBA championship. So even though you deserve a lot of credit from going from the 20 wins to 47 to 51 wins, because I really think that's the hard um, path, that's that really hard franchise improvement thing to emulate, but then as soon as you leave, you go from losing in the first round to winning an NBA title. That's almost too much improvement because then you're like, wait a minute, I want to give this guy credit, but what the hell just happened? And so it does get back to relationships. Uh, Joe Lakeup, after Mark was let go, had a bunch of quotes. Um, this was one of them that I found. Quote: Part of it was that he couldn't get along with anybody else in the organization. And look, he did a great job. I'll always compliment him in many respects, but you can't have 200 people in the organization not like you. Okay. Um, and he said, when I say the organization as a whole, I don't just mean the team and just 15 players that are involved in the coaching staff. I mean, everybody, there's 200 employees here. So we look at the organization going forward and the kind of coach we want and not just the performance of everything else. All these factors matter. We took all of that uh, into account. So We have the player part of it. We have the owner part of it. We knew the front office didn't like him when one of the assistants was busted for recording Jackson in meetings to then play for the front office, which again, that actually becomes a pro-Mark Jackson part of it. The Mark Jackson staff was not good enough. The ownership and front office told him repeatedly the staff is good enough. Mark said we have the best staff going. He and Scalabrini apparently got into it and Scalabrini was reassigned. The front office didn't like that part of it. So we have the players, we have the staff, we have the ownership, we have the front office. Let's also talk about some of the other stuff that's just, let's face it, Weird. Jackson is a man of faith. I don't question anyone's faith. I just say to you, leave me alone and I'll do my thing. Um, that's the way I've always operated. And I know that it rubs some people the wrong way when he was a head coach, but also would find time to get to LA whenever he had a convenient off day to go ahead and do that. It's tough to tell a man of faith, hey, you know what? Don't be that interested in God. Uh, that's that's an almost impossible conversation. But if I was at ESPN or anywhere and said, Hey, you know what? I can't watch football this weekend because I have this higher calling. Uh, Eventually at work, they'd be like, Hey, you know what, man? Like this is all part of the job being available to be around. This is a very difficult and and tough thing to navigate as I'm not even hundred percent comfortable doing it, but I'd have to say as an employer at the time being frustrated by it, it actually makes a little bit of sense. And I think there's other things that just bum people out. When Curry had his ankle issues, he was brought up and it was kind of a, a playful thing where Curry's brought up. They put the holy oil on his ankle And it was Jackson's wife at the time. And Pete Jackson was like, look, he's like, he had chronic ankle problems and now he doesn't. So you figure it out. That's one of those things where people are like, wait, what? Um, Jackson also had some issues off the court where he was caught up in extortion deal. And I'm not even really getting on his case for that because I think a lot of things happen to people that are public figures that goes on in normal people's lives, but the public figure becomes the object of jokes on and on and on. He also said when asked about uh, Jason Collins availability years ago, he said, not in my locker room. So it came off as if he was a homophobe because there's kind of evidence that he is. And then when he was asked to clear that up, he said, look, I know Jason, I know his family and I'm praying for them right now. Hey man, you save your fucking prayers. Okay. Like that's the kind of stuff that just doesn't play no matter who you are. And I think the most important part of all of this, because I guess I'm still maybe a little surprised that he doesn't have a job because other people have been on TV and not been great on tv I've, I've looked at other coaches that haven't had great runs and there have been plenty of people that have gotten second chances by the way both black and white so when i see people outraged that he's been blackballed or as shannon sharp said whiteballed or kendrick perkins recently just saying like all of these things that it, it just going off on the idea that mark jackson doesn't have a job it really feels like okay are you informed and but yet you've made up your mind and decided not to change your mind, or are you uninformed? And I think so many people screaming about this are like, oh, wait, that's right. You know, maybe there are moments you had just now listening to this, where you're like, oh, that's right. I have nothing personal against Mark Jackson. He's one of my favorite college basketball players of all time, all time. You guys know how huge of a St. John's fan I am. And I actually was, you know, as a little kid being like, dude, I can't believe he's going this late in the draft. Like, he's going to be awesome. And he was awesome in the Knicks. I felt so vindicated. I was like, man, I could work for a team right one day. I loved Mark Jackson and I was right. But when I listened to him on the broadcast with Van Gundy, I think him being on the broadcast with Van Gundy hurts his chances of getting a job. Because if I was worth a half a billion dollars or more and had the opportunity to own a team or owned a team right now, and I'd go, Van Gundy's on all of these little things. Like, hey, look at how they line up Anthony Davis on free throws. They already have him on the other side of the court so he can seal for a deep pass against a smaller defender. Will there be an adjustment? Hey, what's going on with this substitution? Hey, this rule's actually wrong. Why are they doing it this way? Jeff Van Gundy will say, here's, hey, Jason Tatum, something's wrong with him. And he's the first to point it out. It happens multiple times every single broadcast. Jeff Van Gundy is easily the best NBA analyst in the game right now. Mark doesn't do any of those things and i don't know if that's just him not being comfortable in that role but he's a coach he's a former player and he doesn't do any of those things he'll say hey this guy's not just a great scorer he's a great individual he's a great human being okay so and so doesn't get enough credit for his shooting okay and everything is results based if the shot goes in it was a great shot if the shot doesn't go in hey that's the guy that shouldn't be taking the shot it's very it's very minimal depth and when you have people that make these decisions. You're almost, instead of looking at the resume in Golden State, which is on its surface, a good resume, you'd say, hey, yeah, what, like six years? Like, let's give this guy a shot. Young team, gun would play defense, that's hard to do. But I think being next to Jeff, when Jeff runs circles around him on the broadcast, it, it might remind people and go, wait, why, why is this one guy way better at talking about the game than the other guy? So I think the best thing Mark could do would not be on the broadcast with Jeff. And who knows, that might happen. So I just think the more we look at it, and hey man, trust me, this is not white guy decides to push back on racism segment, because I've probably done with those for the rest of my life. I'm saying specific to this one, because the NCAA numbers are atrocious, the ADs, the head coaching, the diversity that we have in the pro sports league still is not what it needs to be. I'm not pushing back on any of those things. But when it comes specific to Mark Jackson, There are the informed and the uninformed. And hopefully if you've resisted this, you're more informed now. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix.
1: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little
0: John Annick, live from Abu Dhabi, the W Hotel, walking distance to Fight Island, joins us now on the podcast. How is, uh, how is that place? I, I've always wondered about visiting it. I imagine now it's certainly uh, more restricted, but give me a breakdown of, of visiting that part of the world.
1: Well, I know you appreciate first-class service, and it's always a treat for me to chop it up with my old buddy, but dude, the hospitality and the world-class nature of the customer service here is like nothing I've experienced in the world. And I've been traveling with the UFC for nine years. I've been to Brazil 27 times. I've been all over the world in uh, all sorts of different climates and hotels. I don't think it just has to do with this COVID 19 climate i think this is the way they treat large groups in general everything is is to the nines i had the best seafood meal of my life last night and uh you know my poor wife hasn't been to a restaurant since february here i am eating <laughs> these five-star dinners and everything else but obviously as you know the ufc was first and got way ahead of this and uh they've made some mistakes along the way but You know, it's good to be here. Obviously, the first time I came here a few months ago, I had a false positive, which was a little dicey, but four negative COVID tests and uh, ready to call these fights here uh, in about 48 hours.
0: I hate to ask another stupid question before I get to the important ones, but shopping there, I imagine it's the worst place to buy high end stuff because everything's so expensive. Like I doubt that there's deals on stuff, correct?
1: Yeah, no, the prices are uh, inexorbitant, and uh, Dubai's not far from here, and they don't get any cheaper over there. So, absolutely, I haven't done much shopping while I've been here, but it's pretty strict, man. Like, I know you like to get out and you like to work out. Like, I have a loop that I can go, but it's very strict. You got to wear your mask. You got to be on the right side of the street, and I have no problem telling you to uh, to go back where you came from, so to speak.
0: As somebody who likes watches, I swear, I feel like Dubai is just a dudes rolling around with Rolex paddock, and you're like, are you allowed outside if you don't have one of those? But I can't imagine, <laughs> like, while I'm in Dubai, like, I remember when I had no money, and you and I would look at fancy watches in Las Vegas, like, I mean, I was, so I was broker than you were, I think, unfortunately, um, just because you're smarter than I am, from not back then, from no. every day since, but... Uh, we'd look at like fancy watches, and I'd say something to the guy, I'd be like, "Well, you know, if I if these tables right, and I probably was asking you for twenty bucks later that day." Uh, but then whenever I see some of the footage from Dubai and just dudes are rolling with every possible watch combination you can think of, I'm like, you know what? I probably if I ever end up there, I'd, I'd probably just deal with my normal guy. Then, then just be like, "Hey, while I'm in Dubai, let me pay twice as much for a for something else." All right, let's talk fights, okay? Because um, you know. Nurmagomedov is interesting for a bunch of different reasons. I want to start with him on this side. He is the clear favorite. I think that line is is almost too much. But again, you're the gambling guy. This is your world, uh, as you'll be calling it. Uh, you talk to him. What's he like right now? He, he's had both an incredible run and a horrible year, personally.
1: Yeah, this has been the most challenging year of his personal and professional life. If your listeners and viewers don't know the story, his father, Abdulmanap Nurmagomedov, not unlike your dad just a a central force and figure in his life and friend doesn't even begin to describe it coach doesn't even begin to describe it not only did abdulman apner Magomedov build seven or eight fighters literally from scratch seven eight years old into bona fide ufc fighters and contenders uh but he's been Khabib's best friend so to lose him in this climate is something that Habib has had to overcome. That being said, I think he might be the mentally toughest athlete that I have ever been around. I do think if he was forced to come back sooner, right, three months ago, he wouldn't be in as clear a headspace as he is in right now. But he is very much a matter of fact guy who is like, dude, like, in his sort of improving English, he's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, he's not coming back. So do you want me to live on? Or do you want me to mope for you guys all week? So he's been very thoughtful with us I asked him if he and his dad ever had any conversations about Justin Gaethje as a future opponent and because I was trying to figure out a creative way to ask him about his father. And he said they did talk about Gaethje, but not necessarily as a future opponent for Habib. But the number one reason Khabib is here is because he believes Gaethje is the toughest challenge and he wants to bolster his legacy and, and he loves to compete.
0: There's, there's so many Habib questions that I have. And, and as you bring up his father, I was reading about... DC, um, your partner, Daniel Cormier, also one of the legends of this, this game. And honestly, somebody who I feel like the more I get to know him through you or through watching him or the love that his, his teammates, the American kickboxing Academy, those people like these people love him to the point now where I've recently like sort of felt guilt rooting for Jones as passionately as I have in the past, because I haven't run into anybody that like, doesn't like Cormier and they talk about picking up Khabib from the airport, And he was so hungry, they brought him to McDonald's. This is the first thing he did when he got to the States, ate McDonald's. And then all they did was make fun of him and call him Eddie Munster and make fun of him. And then he, the only way Habib learned, and as I tried uh, several different pronunciations of his first name, um, the (laughs) only way he learned how to speak English was was by talking shit. They were like, he didn't really know how to talk other than everybody talked shit to him. So his English was like, just talking shit back and i i don't know that like when he was going at it with connor it was um i give big cat a lot of credit for this because he made an excellent point on it because we were talking about it and he was like i just don't think a b gets it i don't think that he understands like it's just the opponent is going to talk shit and make and say bad stuff about you and then here's this kid this russian kid that grows up with a singular purpose his father cormier mentions when he came to train tried to grapple with cormier and cormier is like he was actually like trying to win and i'm one right. of the greatest heavyweights in the history of the game so like are you kidding what are you doing so i think there's a, a part of this where i actually respect and appreciate it's not the 28 and 0. it's it's not him knocking connor down it's that the more i'm learning about him and i'm certainly way behind you guys that are in it all the time the more that I'm like, this is what, these are the kinds of people that we're supposed to like, that despite that he's a global superstar, he's still coachable, he he doesn't care about the bullshit, and he's able to kind of turn the page in a way that I think a lot of us would have a hard time dealing with the tragedies dealt with, where he's like, let's go fight. Like, that's what I'm here to do. And sometimes we make it more complicated than that.
1: Yeah, no, I think you set it up well. He is the ultimate sportsman, right? Sportsmanship could be his middle name. And I think we're always in an interesting juxtaposition in mixed martial arts, because I'm not a lifelong martial artist, but I know martial arts well enough to know that it is rooted in respect and burying any hatchet after competition and all of those things. Yet here we are in fight sport where you're punching each other in the face, you're defending your face, not a rim. And oftentimes to build up a fight and to maximize your payday, You got to talk shit, right? And that is obviously not something that Habib is inherently comfortable doing. Um, But if you watch footage, and he's posted a lot of this footage leading up to this fight of the way he embraces his opponents after he sort of unceremoniously supplicates and mauls them half to death, right? He is so gracious and so thoughtful. I keep coming back to that word. I mean, we have so many Brazilian fighters who have learned English. Not that many Russian fighters have mastered English the way he has. And it's not so much in his articulation. But Ryan, when I'm asking him a question, he is staring a hole through me and there is not a single word that I could utter that he would not understand, you know, and I just think there's an intellectual aptitude that sort of touches on everything in his life and allows him to be physically and mentally and emotionally tougher than so many of these guys and, uh, He's just excited to get in the cage and have them lock the door and to prove that this guy that Justin Gaethje, that everybody's putting on a pedestal and calling a live underdog is just another guy.
0: Okay, so let's talk Gaethje because last time, well, not last time, but I've had you on a few times now when we were doing kind of this, like, who's the toughest guy you've ever seen? You mentioned Gaethje. This is over a year ago that you mentioned him. We see the Ferguson fight where I think it showed maturity. And it also showed that Ferguson is made of non-human parts um, because that fight, I mean, there's so many fighters that I see lose that I end up walking away from the fight going, I like this guy even more after he lost. And that Ferguson loss is certainly one of those. So just take this any direction that you think is important for the listener here, because other than the praise that you have for Gaethje, we realize the opponent here isn't uh, isn't a joke here.
1: Right. Well, Tony Ferguson had put together one of the most illustrious lightweight winning streaks in UFC history. He was the first fighter at 155 pounds, which is ubiquitously regarded as the best division in MMA. Tony was the first guy to put a double-digit UFC winning streak at lightweight on paper. And Justin Gaethje silenced that noise and took all of that hype and then some in dominating and eventually finishing Tony Ferguson. And Sort of that Ferguson-Gaethje fight was hard for me to watch as somebody who was covered a boxing death because that's how boxers die, right? Is that you stand on your feet, you take perpetual damage, you're too tough for your own good, you know, and the brain swells and never recovers. So when Khabib suggests that Tony Ferguson may never be the same, I'm not sure that he's too far off. I think it's going to be really hard for Tony to now turn the page. But obviously the focus this week is Justin Gaethje. Best thing that ever happened to Justin, he was 20-0 after winning his UFC debut, came into the UFC as a, a major champion from another organization, had defended the belt five times. He was credentialed, but hadn't the strength of schedule that was going to get him the big fights. Then he lost two in a row in the UFC, and that's what turned the corner. He went from being a guy whose goal was to be the most exciting fighter in MMA and then the goal shifted. He wanted to be the very best. And in Trevor Whitman, he has arguably the best striking coach in the game. They're best friends in addition to being teacher and, you know, pupil. And uh, they just made a few tweaks. But the buzzword coming out of the Gechi camp all week has been focused, right? They feel like if they're focused for 25 minutes, they have the best lightweight in the world. You know, it's never I out of Gechi. It's always we talking about his team. And I also think, too, when your dad works in the copper mines for 37 years, right? So much has been made of Khabib and Abdulmanap, and rightfully so. But Justin Gaethje's father, Ray, flew over here with me. The Ferguson fight was the first time Ray Gaethje had ever missed a fight. When you work in the copper mines for 37 years, and that's the the male role model in your life, Justin learned a lot from Ray, but the number one thing he probably learned was Dude, I don't want to be in the compromise. You know, I got to find a way out of the compromise. And man, has he found a way out? Says as soon as the fight begins this weekend, his mom will be able to retire because it stands to reason if we do a big enough number number on pay per view, this is a seven figure payday for uh, for Justin Gaethje. And uh, again, I'm really just excited to see what he can do with the opportunity because I think skill set wise, he's got as good a chance as any lightweight on the roster to uh, to do the unthinkable.
0: Shout out James Taylor. Um, so when I Listen to you talk about Gaethje. I mean, one of the craziest parts of this is that I mean, this is an All American wrestler, and already he has mentioned, like, I want nothing to do with, with, um, with getting on the ground with with Khabib because right. it it makes sense. I mean, anybody that sees the way uh, Habib has dominated his opponents and yeah Gaethje like Gaethje's like look if we want to go to the center of the ring that's fine but he's like once we're out to the the walls here of the octagon like I already know that's not where I want to be and the fact that you know his stand-up certainly against Ferguson I think some of the knocks on Gaethje were that his stand-up was so good that you know he was always out of control and looking to just murder dudes um, right. and yet here's a matchup where you would think with his wrestling background he would feel confident and yet it's just another level with who he's going against.
1: Well, and it's not Greco-Roman wrestling, it's not freestyle wrestling, it's mixed martial arts wrestling. And as great as Justin Gaethje was collegiately, and Ryan, he was known as a great defensive wrestler in college, right? In theory, in this matchup, that should be another feather in his cap. But Khabib, almost every interview we sit down with him, he says MMA wrestling in terms of the application and just the little nuances, wrist control, it's just a totally different type of wrestling. I do believe if this fight is contested on a napkin in the center of the octagon, it is Justin Gaethje's fight to lose. There's no doubt about it. But I do believe, even in a limited sample size in the UFC for Gaethje, I think he is the lightweight best equipped to get up and maximize those transitional opportunities to get the F up and get back to his feet. The biggest issue you hear from previous Khabib victims And they talk about this leading up to the fight. They say, I can't simulate the guy in training necessarily until I feel him in the octagon. I don't know how strong he is. And most of these guys who fight at 155 pounds say, he feels like a 205 pound light heavyweight and they just can't move him. They feel like his feet are in concrete and they just simply can't get out from underneath this man. I think Gaethje is going to be able to do that. The question is how many times will he have to do that? But, uh, I don't know. I think he's got all the skills to get it done. I mean, I hesitate because I'm on the call to sit here and tell you he's a live underdog, but I will agree with what you said off the top. I think if you see Gaethje in that plus two seventy, plus two eighty range, he should be plus two ten, plus two twenty with respect to Habib.
0: By the way, can I follow
1: up on you covering a fight where the boxer died? When was so that? it? So uh, it was Lavender Johnson in 2005, and. You know, there were people in the media section screaming at the referee to stop the fight. But sometimes, as I mentioned, these fighters are too tough for their own good. So, Levander Johnson at the so end this of is the back, fight.
0: So, this is back when you were still in Boston and we were working again. We used to go out there for the fights. But you, yes. I obviously was now out of the picture. I had been let go. Um, so, you guys were still doing your thing because you had the boxing right. show and all that, right? Okay. Right.
1: You still struggling. You uh, you left us high and dry. Your star was shining bright. And so, Levander Johnson at the end of this fight he goes to the locker room under his own power and then he slipped into a coma and eventually passed on. And when you see the problem with boxing, and there are a lot of reasons why I'm not the boxing fan I used to be, but it's that just perpetual damage. It's like, hey man, we'll give you a concussion, but you know what? If you can get back up in eight or 10 seconds, you can come get another one and more bleeding on your brain. In our sport, and I know that UFC cuts my check, but there has never been a death in the 27, almost 28-year history of the UFC. There has never been a serious injury. And part of that, at least in terms of the brain trauma, is because more often than not, once you get a concussion in MMA, the fight's over and you're probably not going to get another one. It's a gross generalization in some respects, but it really has has sort of bared out that way. And uh, that Ferguson fight scared the hell out of me, calling it if I'm being honest.
0: By the way, is are we looking at a, a George St-Pierre, Match here with Habib. And I know he said, look, he's going to come down to 155. I'm not fighting him at 170. And I think the anti Habib people would say, oh, you know, here we go again with this guy. But like, look, if he's 29 and 0 and on the run that he's on, I mean, he kind of can call the shots. And like, look, this might have been a fight. I'm not trying to say like GSP is. Uh, uh, let me be respectful because we know who we're talking about here. But this is about a decade after we would want to see him fight, um, right. to be fair. And so, There's, you know, fighting doesn't have to be everybody at their peak. Fighting a lot of times is like who's going to sell the fight. And that would sell a fight because of the interest level. But I just don't know how realistic any of this stuff is. So what do you think?
1: Right. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I think Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson might actually get in a boxing ring later this year. Right. So no, Tyson was
0: training. He's training near my house and somebody invited me. And then I didn't get like the full invite because it was the hey, do you want to come watch Tyson train? And that's like saying, like, You know, are you serious? Like, that's, I guess, right. like, asking if I want to write a season of Mad Men. Like, yeah, we're, like, <laughs> done. Right. Like, and then it, it didn't happen. And then all my buddies, by the way, like, what you would love, and it's probably happened to you too, the clips of Tyson in five-second bursts look insane. And my buddies are like, dude, I think he's going to be good. He'd be like, do you forget how the sport works? Right. That right. You don't just, like, you don't just get to win fight. Like, I granted, when we grew up, five seconds was good enough for Tyson in a lot of these fights, but, like, give me a break. Like it's well, a right, it's a different level. Yeah,
1: totally different beast. And uh, I don't know how many rounds that fight is scheduled for necessarily, but uh, Roy Jones Jr. is going to try to extend that fight. You can be sure. But the George St. Pierre thing is interesting, right? And you talk about Khabib, and some people say his style is not all that aesthetically pleasing. George St. Pierre had to deal with that for a while. But GSP made the takedown a thing of beauty. I mean, I remember being at UFC 100, and every time he would pick Tiago Alves up and sort of dump him down. I mean, the he Yeah, crowd. He, yeah. Man, you know, so... There is a way to make wrestling and grappling very much pleasing to the audience. I think Habib certainly has his naysayers when it comes to that. My issue, though.
0: Well, look, is, I don't think it's knocking at saying it's not as exciting to watch. Like, it just is. No, isn't. no. Just I isn't. mean, right. Well, right, like,
1: no doubt about it. And most of those people still buy his pay-per-views, thankfully. Yeah. But I guess for me, it's about a guy who hasn't been an active competitor cutting the cue. They let George St. Pierre, the longstanding welterweight champion, after a three-year retirement, come back and fight Michael Bisping for the 185-pound title. And I thought it was very nice of the promotion to do that. It was an honor for me to get a chance to call George's fight, of course. But this is our best division, 155 pounds. There are plenty of contenders who are worthy of championship opportunities right now. So certainly if Khabib wants that fight to try to go 30-0 and if George has an appetite for that fight, even if they meet at a catchweight, I'd be okay with it. But again, I am the, the UFC fan in me just likes a meritocracy, and I like to see Khabib as the long-reigning lightweight champion challenge the true, in his prime, number one lightweight contender. Uh, if we're talking to
0: UFC. We have to talk with Gregor. We know that he chimed in with that weird video of him um, praising his own illegal kick while he was on his back and... Habib had top control, and it was actually I was like, "Oh wow, that is illegal." And then he was like, "This is a thing of beauty; this should be legal." Um, we know huh. he loves the attention, so he was going to chime in here. And let's face it, too. I mean he's he's facing another uh, legal sexual assault allegation. I'm never comfortable in saying, "Hey, this guy's the worst" because of this, or then at the other extreme, saying, "Oh, he's fine; nothing bad." Like I don't know. I don't. I don't admonish. I unless I know, I don't defend really strongly unless I know Um, but we know that he's a fighter and I also think there's so many anti-Connor people out there and look it makes sense for good reason that I think it's a little exaggerated in how bad this run has been for him as far as a professional fighter considering the challenges that he's taken on so where are you at with Connor right now where is the UFC with him and, and what can we expect in the future
1: So it looks like January 23rd, if everything stays the way it is right now, he will headline a pay-per-view against Dustin Poirier in what is a rematch of a fight that took place in 2014. Now, they fought the first time at featherweight, right? This fight needs to happen at 155 pounds so it can be a true lightweight title eliminator. Conor McGregor, as we sit here today, Ryan, most people believed that his best UFC division was going to be 155 pounds, Right. He's fought Nate Diaz at 70. He fought Donald Cerrone at 70. He started as a featherweight, but most people felt like 55 was his wheelhouse. Okay. We're seven years into his UFC career. He has one UFC lightweight win one over Eddie Alvarez for the UFC title. So, I always thought Connor would want to build this lightweight legacy, and he would want to fight Dustin at 55 to prove, without a shadow of a doubt, that he right now is the number one lightweight contender. Lost in all of his transgressions and the allegations and everything else, he's so good, right? Like there are so many anti-Connor people because his profile is through the roof. There's a lot of anti-Habib people because he got all of that Connor shine and then some, but. People lose sight of just how talented Conor McGregor is. And there's jujitsu skills, there's defensive wrestling skills, but he's one of the most pinpoint strikers in UFC history. We've talked before, the distance management. You should hear the way his fellow fighters talk about his ability on the feet. He's truly an all-time great, but his body of work in MMA doesn't necessarily support that, right? Yes, he was the first simultaneous two-division champion. He He didn't defend either belt. (laughs) Some champions say I'm not the champ until I defend it, right? So I'm looking for Conor McGregor to do, and granted, COVID-19 climate, I understand, but to do what he said he was going to do. Have a Conor McGregor fighting season, be active, bolster his MMA legacy so that when he is feet up in retirement, you know, he can enjoy sort of the the scalps that he can add to his resume. Because right now, his UFC resume feels very incomplete to me. Yeah, whenever
0: I see, like, Losing against Nurmagomedov, like most people thought that was going to happen, um, especially based on Styles. But Connor, at that point, was kind of like a tough guy to go against. I mean, the Nate Diaz fights were incredible. He avenges the loss, and now people are trying to act like he's washed. And I, I go, I can always. Here's here's where people expose themselves. If you don't like him, you think he's on the backside of things. That's fine. And again, he's given you plenty of reasons to not like him. Although. The Floyd thing exposes two things. If you're pro Floyd and you're anti Connor because of Connor's personality, then you just don't like Connor and you like Floyd because Floyd has given us plenty of evidence to feel. Maybe this isn't the greatest guy to be a roommate with. <laughs> all right. But when people then go like, well, look at his, he lost to Diaz. He lost to Nurmagomedov, He lost to Floyd. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Like you're holding, that's like holding preseason losses against a football coach. If you like, like, oh, this guy was fired and, You know, he's gone, he's gone six and 14 this season. And you'd be like, wait a minute, what? Like the preseason? So I don't know, man, I obviously am biased because I just enjoy him being the fighter. And that's where I am with a lot of the guys that are in the public eye. Like I don't, there's a standard that is, I probably have a lower standard for what I think people are. (laughs) And I just go like with right. John Jones It's another one. Right. There's a million reasons why I could just bail on John Jones. I can't figure out what the hell his deal is on Twitter. Part of me is almost admiring the fact that he's just turned the page on his own bullshit where he's ready to go with anybody and call everybody else out because he's like, look, what am I going to do? not live my life? And as we know, like Jones keeps tweeting it at Adesanya. Um, so where are we at with this story now? Because he's tweeting far more than anything else.
1: So, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows that he vacated the light heavyweight title, which was put on the line in September. And Jan Bohovic is now the 205 pound champion. You know, he doesn't want to fight Jan Bohovic. He doesn't have an appetite for that fight or that challenge.
0: I think a lot of people forgot Bohovic does have the title, by the way. Go, go ahead. That's right.
1: I'm here to remind you, right? He's Polish if you're curious. So, but so for John Jones, he announced that he was moving up to heavyweight. And I think part of that is because our heavyweight champion right now, Stipe Miocic, is a 235 pound man. If Francis Ngannou was the UFC heavyweight champion, that would not have been the time for John Jones to announce that he is moving up to heavyweight. But now that Israel Adesanya is 20 and 0, has twice successfully defended his middleweight title, and is all the rage and on the cover of the video game, that seems to be on paper with without Conor or Khabib, the biggest singular fight that we can make right now: John Jones versus Israel Adesanya. The big issue is that Izzy doesn't struggle at all to make 185 pounds. So at what weight are these two men fighting? And most people believe it would be light heavyweight, at least force John to cut down a little bit. And uh, I just think for Adasanya, again, he's one of these guys who wants to fight the number one contenders in his division. And certainly if they want to make it worth his, his while, he'll fight John Jones at any point in time. I would also add, if you're John Jones, you better fight Adasanya soon because as you've seen, he is not only is he not getting worse, he is getting exponentially better every time we see him. And I think that's a scary proposition for John Jones. I just think there's so many layers to his game each and every time we see him. But uh we'll see. I think that uh, you know, if you if you're of the mentality that you have to strike when the iron is hot in combat sports, then I think twenty twenty one we will see Jones and Adesanya. The thing
0: with Israel too is that, I mean, Bones talks to him like he's 13 years old <laughs> right. and he's 31. He's older than you would think, but he's absolutely, especially with his last fight, we were like, I wonder how this is going to go. And you're like, well, yeah, there you go. I mean, this guy is, it feels like hitting kind of his ceiling. Uh, although I still think Jones ceiling as you were the first person I ever heard point out was like, no, Jones is going to be the greatest of all time. Like he's really that good. And I was, uh, I was like, all right, you know, whatever. And then when you see him at his absolute best, you're like, Jesus, like even when Jones sucks, he's like way better than everybody else. Like that's how I I don't know that he sucked in a lot of fights, but I've just seen him be in control in a way that it kind of reminds me when Luke Rockhold fought Bisping and Luke was almost like, oh, this is stupid. Why am I even here? (laughs) Like early on, like Luke lost that fight, I thought, because he just was like, eh, all right, I'm just going to kick your ass. And then it was like, "Ow, that hurt. Oh, my God. Like that hurt, too. Jones oh, yeah. Jones has fought like that at times, but never lost. Um, at least that's right. I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense to you.
1: No, it does, and he has come close to losing when he had a less than optimal training camp for Alexander Gustafson in 2013. He nearly lost his belt and and was very undertrained, and yet yeah, that's there is right. Yeah, such a mental toughness, though, to John. I'm just telling you, man. Uh, I don't know how foul the language can be, but he is a mother- go for it. He's a motherfucker, man. I'm yeah. telling you. There we go. He is willing to embrace those dark places. You know, Justin Gaethje is the captain of team willing to go to those dark places, right? The places that maybe you would go to as an athlete that I wouldn't even, right? Those places where in the gym, right? Like just living in those dark places. And that's what I like about John Jones. Not only skill for skill, is he the best fighter that I've ever seen, but he's got the ticker, man. Like he's got the heart too. And that has obviously been something that has helped his you know, that's helped him on this championship run. But the sport is better when John Jones is in it. Absolutely. And he still has prime years left. And what upsets me the most is when I see nine month pockets rip off the calendar and guys like John and Connor don't compete. You know, you don't get that time back. You really don't.
0: You brought up Nganu, who as he's as he's peaked here, um and look, he lost to Stipe early on, you know, like it's it's not trying to double-check that. That was, uh, yeah, we're almost three years from that. It was January 18. Yep. Uh, and Stipe, like, I can't tell if I like him when he's big or if I like him when he's thinner. Because, I mean, both both sides of it, I don't know. I mean, you feel free to answer that one there. But Nganu feels like this is inevitable now with his growth inside the octagon the last couple of years. And it's a really good point, too, because if he ends up with it, then Jones trying to take that on, like, sign me up. But that's yeah. got to be way too much, I, I would yeah. think.
1: Yeah, well, and respect to the consensus greatest UFC heavyweight of all time, Stipe Miocic. When you say if Ngannou wins the belt, to me it really feels like when This is an event. That's what it feels
0: like. And it feels disrespectful to Stipe, but I just I mean Ngannou's now, like we were talking about with Israel, it's just you can see the levels with guys.
1: Francis Ngannou would be the betting favorite against any man in the world right now in a combat sports setting. I mean, maybe you could find some giant that could overwhelm him, but he'll be favored against John Jones. He'll be favored against Stipe despite being totally dominated the first time around. And a completely different fighter than he was when he fought Stipe Miocic. And yet, as painful as that Stipe loss was for him, he still didn't get finished, right? He still was able to survive those 25 minutes of hell. Now he's got takedown defense. Now he's been working with a world-class striking coach in Vegas that He's really developed a great one-two punch with. Francis Ngannou is going to be the UFC heavyweight champion. He is just very frustrated with the schedule and the calendar right now. And it was tough, right? Stipe and DC had to clean up their trilogy. And Daniel didn't do three straight fights against Stipe. He did have the Derrick Lewis fight. But Stipe literally fought once a year for three years, and he fought DC every summer. So Francis Ngannou next. It's just a matter of uh, when Stipe wants to uh, to make that fight happen.
0: Okay, before we go, a little story time. Um, you're traveling with these guys. You're around them all the time. Do they have any respect for you?
1: I hope they have respect huh. for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's <laughs> amazing how much, uh, how much marijuana some of these guys are able to consume and still fight like absolute warriors. But uh, that has been the best part of it for me is getting to know a lot of these different athletes and to get to know them in a social context, right? Because a lot of people think I'm just a fucking robot wearing a suit, and if they're not listening to my podcast – I'm a completely different guy, obviously off the air. You're a very uh,
0: buttoned up guy professionally. Very buttoned
1: up. I try to inject my personality, but Dana White's my boss, right? So there is some caution there and I try to walk right up to that line without crossing it. But I have developed a pretty good friendship with Justin Gaethje and... uh, He was so excited to be like the first athlete back and then to do what he did against Tony Ferguson. He was jumping out of his skin at that hotel in Jacksonville. And I will just tell you that when he walked out of our fighter meeting, I sort of followed him out of the room. And I tried to build all these guys up. But I said to Justin, I was like, let's go, Justin. And he turns around, pauses, and looks at me. And he's like, USA. And I just got chills head to toe. You know, because a lot of these guys, because this is such a global sport, go look at the history of American men in the UFC. The USA, America has dominated in the UFC. And a lot of these guys take representing the Stars and Stripes, especially in this climate when we seem to be a target of the world. A lot of people take representing America very seriously. And my patriotism certainly comes out when I see Gaethje because he he's going in there as an American wanting to represent for this country, and I like that.
0: All right. Yeah, a little, little Red Dawn there for the kids. <laughs> the original Red Dawn. Yeah. Uh, that is John Anik. What do we need to promote here other than UFC 254 by this Saturday? The only
1: thing we need to promote is that if you are on the West Coast in Manhattan Beach, California, this pay-per-view hits at 11 a.m. Pacific. It's catered to the Abu Dhabi market. So this is an 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern pay-per-view starts. So uh, don't sleep on it. Not much on the college football slate. We need, we need, your, uh, we need your money, UFC 254.
0: All right, we're on it, man. Thank you, as always. You know uh, your success makes me as happy as anyone in this industry. You deserve it as much as anyone, so thank you.
1: Thanks, buddy. Always a pleasure. You want details? Bye. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So... Now you know what's possible. Let
0: me tell you what's required. Okay, life advice. You know how it works. Life advice, rr at gmail.com. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed, uh, again, that with Trevor last week. I, I know he had a lot of fun last week. Actually, we just did a couple of days ago. Okay, uh, we got a couple here. This one's a little different. Title, Live-In Girlfriend Won't Flush the Toilet. Don't worry, we're not going to start getting gross with these as we maybe find more and more lanes to try to help guys with. Uh, pretty standard. I kind of knew where this was going to go. Hey, Ryan, I'm 35, younger millennial girlfriend recently moved in. So, what does that mean? What, hey, can we, uh, let's just double check millennial age here again? Cause it's, it goes older than you think. Yeah. I think millennials and, are like 32 or something is like the max. No, I, I don't. Yeah. What years are millennials born? Yeah. 81, dude. So, my, so
1: my, sister, 40? my,
0: yeah, see that's what I'm trying to say is like it go, it's older than you think. And so then the other one is 96. So after 24. So basically what you're saying when you say my millennial girlfriend, she could be almost 40, dude, and that doesn't sound right and you're 35. So everybody throwing out millennials, like again, they get a lot of crap. Student loans, I've been on this before, but again, they steal everybody else's content in ways that older people never did. Younger dudes just don't care. <laughs> Who did this? No, not you. Um <laughs> Just meme thieves, left and right. I'm surprised somebody hasn't come up with a podcast called A Few Good Memes, just for the title. Okay, all right, back to our guy here. His his younger millennial girlfriend, who I assume is not almost 40, she's uh, mostly added a nice touch to the house, including many plants. Women are way better at plants than we are. Um, She brought mid-century modern furniture with her, etc., Next time include a picture of mid-century modern forn- furniture by the way. She's also encouraged more environmental cons- uh, conservation efforts, a lot less paper plates. Yeah, okay, dude. Like stop with the paper plates at this point. A lot more reusable Q-tips. Those I don't Whoa, have a lot no. of experience <laughs> no, with, <dude. laughs> No, I think they're the the like the they look like a Phillips head screw and they just sort of I don't know, Phillips or flat either would work. Oh okay. God. By the way, when it comes to screws and bits and different things, we have too many options. I guess part of it is like bathroom stalls in colleges. you couldn't just have a flathead or a, a Phillips head screw because guys would just take them apart. I mean, hell, they take them apart now anyway, but it's the two dots. Okay. But there's just far. I didn't understand like why anybody said, hey, we have like seven different ways you can undo a screw. Let's come up with an eighth. That's just something I was thinking about the other day. So I'm glad I could share That's that with you. Thought. All right, so this guy's down with the less paper plates, paper straws, the Q-tips, the mid-century modern furniture. He says most of these changes were not difficult, and I was on board with. My issue is that she doesn't like to flush the toilet to save water. I routinely go to use either of my two bathrooms. must be nice. Um, And I open the lid to a bowl full of uh, stinky day-old urine. I'm not sure if hers smells worse than mine, but I've never let mine marinate for 24 hours to find out. Wow, this got really gross. I've been dealing with this as best I could the other day. Oh, no. I don't. I'm not. Kyle, what are we doing? <laughs> You're picking some real PG-13 material here the other day. All right, guys. I don't. I just don't want to be the gross podcast. So this is important. We'll just ride. Yeah, we got to ride it out, though. All right. So you guys know where this is going. I thought it was kind of sucked, and let's fix it. But now we're dealing with a whole other challenge. I think you guys can figure it out. So my man says he almost threw up in his mouth a little bit. Oh, he did throw up in his mouth just a little though. That put me over the edge. And I knew I need to seek your advice. How can I get my girlfriend to start flushing the toilet or am I being an asshole for flushing every time I go? All right, dude, I don't. The first one I could kind of understand. I mean, not everybody can be a Chris Long on the water front. Um, and I've even had moments where, you know, as you get older in the middle of the night, you're like, cool. It's nothing, nothing better than when you're older and you're like, oh, now I have to go to the bathroom. Like, I don't, and we're not like a Joe Theismann stage here, but it just happens guys. It just happens. Especially when you're just, you know, just ready to attack the day enthusiasm unknown to mankind. So the not flushing there, like it's happened, you know, it's happened where you're like, Oh, and I, I know I'm kind of like bigger on the water thing after I did a bunch of the water boy stuff with Long's foundation where I was like, maybe I should conserve more water, like having the water running while you're brushing your teeth is a waste of water. Like it could get up to like a gallon. I mean, that's ridiculous. And then I started reading more about water conservation and they were like, all of that's almost minimal. And then it really comes down to farming. And I was like, Oh, all right. But anyway, I don't even know if that's accurate or not, but I read it was a zag saying all the little things <laughs> you're doing to conserve water don't mean anything. Cause it really all comes down to farming. That's what the water... Yeah. So I, you know, that doesn't mean, Hey, now run your faucets like crazy and take super long showers because it's Iowa's fault. But you get my point. So I was, I was with you though. Like, look, that'll happen sometimes. I mean, look, I did remember one time I did it and I had a perfect excuse for you here. I think I used an upstairs bathroom in my old house in Connecticut. And then I went away for a week and I came back and luckily it was just me. But yeah, I mean, it smells like there's a body rotting into, you know, bleach, like breaking bad style. And you're like, Oh my God, what's going on? And it actually messed up, um, it like's kind of stain the toilet. So I was like, "Hey, here you go. Here's your out. Tell her it'll stain because of the like over time it will stain the toilet and it's irreparable and you don't want to have that happen. Problem solved. Start flushing the toilet. But this is just disrespectful. This is fucking disgusting. And I don't know if this can be solved. So that's You know what you could my, do? You're just, you're just going to have to say, Sorry. no, I'm, I'm worried. I was about to cut you off because I'm worried where your advice is going to go, but people want to hear from you. So I was go. just going to say you could threaten to be like, listen, if this is that big of an issue, I'm just going to start randomly flushing the toilet to make up for all the flushes you're not. And then maybe it's like, Hey, could you just flush when you use the bathroom? Otherwise, every time I pass it, I'm going to start flushing the toilet. You don't even have to, you could just say you're gonna, and it, and it might actually, the bigger picture for her might kick in to save more water. She could actually flush when she goes. <laughs> so th- i didn't expect that was good i thought you were gonna combat it in a different way um okay i, I see what you're saying yeah that's pretty juvenile how about you just flush the toilet? i don't you're gonna this is gonna have to be like almost a one-on-one intervention <laughs> like i always feel like whenever you have to really try to get somebody's attention you have to talk to them in a way that's different so however you interact with your girlfriend when however you have disagreements the way to try to get somebody to really pay attention to you is you have to approach them with a cadence, with a body positioning. You have to approach it in a way that she's not used to seeing you have a dialogue with her Mm. so that registers with a little bit. I'd love to think that any girl that, you know, you're this close with and living girlfriend and you want to marry and and you're excited about it. I mean, look, everybody's got, got some stuff, but, uh, this is, I don't envy this at all, man. And if she pushes back on it, uh, <laughs> you know, she's like, sorry, this is my decision. Like, hey, water to actually maybe just forward her that article about Iowa that I read and tell her it's tell her it's, it's really idea. not. Yeah, it's not solving that many problems. OK, I want let's get out of that. Let's get, isn't somebody a bummed out 20 something trying to think about a career in these times? You don't want to bring your immune system down by having the bathroom, having all that bacteria in it. Yeah, no, that sucks. trying times. Okay, we got another one here. Uh, This one is a topic near and dear to my heart. All right, I've got a friend of mine who I've known for over 30 years. We met in second grade, and we're both now 41. Shout out to just missing that millennial tag. Uh, Generally speaking, I don't give him or any of my buddies fashion or grooming advice unless they ask me. Sometimes I want to, but I try to hold it in. A friend of mine is a disaster when it comes to his appearance. A few years... (laughs) Back, we went out to a club, and he was wearing sandals and a Spider-Man oh, t-shirt. No. I said, "Really? That's what you chose to wear?" But whatever, what can you do? Actually, I just point him to Abbott Kinney in the future; He'll fit right in. Okay, but recently he's been going bald. No big deal. I have a lot of guy friends I know who are bald or going bald. We're at that age. I don't know if I like this guy writing the email. <laughs> All right, to me, you have two choices. Either one, you get a conservative haircut, very short and neat. Maybe a goatee as well. What is this guy? Middle reliever? Who's a little heavy. Um, Or two, you just shave your head. You know, there's a third option and you could shut the fuck up. (laughs) All right. Um, Either looks fine to me. The one thing I don't think you should do is grow the side and back hair out super long and comb it over. Um, My buddy has done this. It's not quite as bad as Trump. Try not to get political on the podcast, Uh, but it's getting there. Uh, He's also mostly gray now with a gray beard and looks like a homeless person, okay? Last week, I finally broke down and said something to him after seeing a Facebook picture where he looked like someone you see on the freeway. I said, bro, you're going bald. It's not the end of the world, but please shave your head. Just do it. Shave the head and at least trim the beard. Now he's pissed off at me and worse yet. Will not admit that he's going bald. Not sure what I should do going forward. Was a mistake to say something to him. Just want your take. All right, he's clearly your lifelong buddy. And actually, I'm giving you shit because I remember what it was like for me when I first started losing my hair. And there's like this denial phase Where I think even when I started getting the bald spot, a buddy was like, whoa, wait a minute. Are you getting thin back there? And he was like examining me like it was junior high dissecting a frog. And he's like, I don't know, man. It's like getting a little thin. And I even said in the past, like I remember having a hairdresser who hairdresser. uh, Well, whatever. I got my hair cut at a fancy place when I had it. And I was like, "Hey, am I thinning out back there? What's going on?" And she was like, "No, no, you're fine. You're fine." Lied. And then the first <laughs> time I actually saw like a picture with a little bit of light where I could actually see like the development of a bald spot, or just thinning, thinning hair back there at the top, I was like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! It's happening! Like, why the fuck is this happening to me? Why is it going to happen to me? Like, I want to be on TV. This sucks. This is the worst. Girls are going to hate me. You know? Um, I look. I had one friend who I think literally got engaged and married to the woman he's." because he was like, I'm losing my hair and there's no way I'll do this well if I break up with her and then have less hair in the future. Um, So you have to understand like hair guys, like you think comb overs are terrible. You're not the one losing your hair. Like it's it's really tough. It sucks. It bummed me out. It wasn't like ruining my day. Um, It wasn't something I woke up with and said, oh my God, like I I don't want to leave my bedroom. Like eventually, you know, you get up, go to work and do your shit. But it sucked. I hated it. I hated it. Uh, now I guess I'm fine with it, but it took me a long time to get to that point of just going, all right, I'm going to shave my head. And yeah, you know what, when I finally shaved it, I was like, all right, I'm good. And I'm also lucky that, you know, I'm six two, I'm lucky that I'm in decent shape. I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I don't have a lumpy, weird alien head. So that part of it works. And I'm, I'm lucky that it's not like a full blown horseshoe where there's still enough on the sides and on the top. So I, I lucked out in It sucks that I lost my hair, but I lucked out on the rest of the parts of like getting away with what I could possibly cobble together the rest of the way. Right. But what the hair guys don't understand about the bald guys is that all the shit you're saying to us, like we have internalized this. We've done the mirror angles a thousand times. We've asked for friends or we've not asked to look because we're afraid of getting the answer. We have tried the foams. Okay. Fucking math on the foams doesn't work, folks. You know, I told you about the Propecia thing where I went. And I was like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into MMA, and while I'm here, can I get some Propecia? Can you fix my shoulder and give me a prescription? And they were like, no and no. I was like, all right, cool, doc, thanks. That was like the first time I'd had insurance in years. I go, I thought insurance was supposed to be awesome. Like, what happened? <laughs> right. I got the wrong guy, you know. And he was like, no, no, thanks. He's like, all right, blood pressure's good. See you later. I was like, so that's a no on anything. I was like, you know, can I get an MRI on the shoulder? Like, I'm afraid it's my the shoulder's going to get ripped out of the socket. He's like, yeah, I don't care, whatever. And I was like, Propecia? And he's like, no, bad side effects, not doing it, don't believe in it. And I was like, okay, well, I believe that I may never have sex again could be a side effect here if this <laughs> hair loss continues to happen. So he didn't like that response. Um, I, I just, I can't emphasize enough that when you give losing his hair guy a hard time, He's already done it to himself a million times over. So it enrages us that are losing their hair. And I've talked about the Scott thing. Like Scott would look and it would get a little bit more thin and he'd start looking up at the top and he start, and he wanted, he was rooting against my hair. He was rooting for it to continue <laughs> to go bald because he was bald and he wanted me to go bald too. And I just mentally wasn't ready because there'd be angles. I'd go, Hey, I look fine there. I look good there. And then the celebrity basketball game happened. And I guess JB and uh, I don't figure who else was on the call. I made fun of my fucking hair for the entire fourth quarter. And my buddies were like, dude, this is really bad. Like, are you going to want to fight John Barry? I was like, maybe, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> again, but it's my hair. So what am I supposed to do? I came back to thousands of tweets saying you're the ugliest human being ever. Um, wow. But no one did an article on it. So no one cared. Uh, <laughs> I, I just, I just, <laughs> you're going to have to like, let him be on his own timeline. And it's clear when he goes to the club, you know what, if he wants to wear a Spider-Man shirt and have a comb over and a homeless beard and go out and talk to, I don't know if he sounds like he's probably married or whatever, respect it, respect that he doesn't give a shit. It's not your hair. Like, yes, you are right. You are right, man. But there are times when there is no advice to give because he's already played this through probably, or he's so, he's so not aware of himself. Well, clearly, if he's doing the comb-over thing, he realizes he's losing his hair. But I'm, I'm to the point in my life where I'm, it's like I respect smokers sometimes. And I see a guy outside of work firing, firing one away. I'm like, look at that guy. He's still smoking outside at work. That's amazing. I think if this guy wants to go to a club with a terrible comb-over sandals and a Spider-Man shirt, you let him have it. Maybe he's happy. Maybe he loves it. Maybe he went out that night and was like, I look awesome. This is great. We should do this more often. Or maybe right now, he's like, God, you know, the one thing that sucks about the coronavirus is I can't go to clubs anymore. Maybe that's how he thinks. So um, that is a personal rant. And yeah, I wish I had shaved my head earlier, but I just wasn't ready. And until I was ready, I wasn't going to do it. And for a lot of guys losing their hair, they're just not ready because it's really hard to go, okay, now I'm going to be bald for the rest of my life. Because when we look in the mirror, especially if we're taller and it's just in the back, we're like, man, I look awesome. Until a jib camera (laughs) decides to drop down from the heavens in the middle of a radio show to expose your bald spot to a massive audience on ESPN2 because the producer thinks it looks cool which again, wasn't one of my favorite radio TV shows I ever did when the jib decided to zoom in on the back of my head. Um, And you're sitting there on TV, national TV going, are we seriously doing this right now? And I'm just being embarrassed in front of everybody. That was a good, that was a good show. All right, that's the podcast. Please rate, review and subscribe as much as possible. We will uh, talk to you on Monday for a football recap.